Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hi, listeners. This episode is a recording from Hot Topic Tuesday's workshop hosted by Marlon Pasquale, community organizer in Inglewood, with a featured moderator, Jocella Collins, and a panel expert of strong women. So today we have an exciting topic on pregnancy disparities that African-American women have been experience. So welcome again. Uh, we have such an important topic, uh, I think relevant topic, not just, um, you know, for, for our communities here in LA County, uh, Spa 6. Uh, so I've worked in Inglewood for a while. So, you know, I work with a lot of African-American families and this is something important. Uh, I have a newborn son who turns seven months this Thursday. So this topic is relevant uh, to me as it is for, for everyone here. So again, thank you for joining. Uh, so I will get started. I will present our moderator and our panelists. Uh, then we'll go into a video and then we'll start the discussion. So first I have the pleasure to introduce Jacella Collins. Uh, she is a certified addiction specialist, uh, CADC2, grief recovery specialist and life comforters facilitator. Uh, Jacella Collins has worked at the Asian American Drug Abuse Program for over 20 years. She has been a certified uh, drug and alcohol counselor in the outpatient counseling program since 2002. Gisela currently holds the position of intake coordinator. Gisela is a certified anger management professional too and a certified grief recovery specialist. She uses these skills to enhance clients' relapse prevention strategies to encourage a drug-free lifestyle. Gisela earned her Master of Social Work degree at Cal State University Dominguez Hills. She was delighted to be hired as an associate professor at Cal State University Dominguez Hills Extension College for the Drug and Alcohol Certificate, Certificate Program, where she worked uh, for a brief period. Gisela is still on the roster as an instructor with the CAPP Academy and the curriculum designed to assist students interested in becoming professionals working in the drug and alcohol field. She substitutes as needed for exhausted instructors requesting time off. Prior to the pandemic, Gisela was very involved in the community activities and facilitated workshops on various topics in her spare time. She has appeared on podcasts as a guest speaker on airs in her expertise. She enjoys arts and crafts and do-it-yourself projects. Thank you, uh, Gisela. Welcome. Uh, we're excited to have you. Now, we have the pleasure to present Ajoa Jones. Ajoa is a daughter, sister, mother, grandmother, relative, friend, and mentor to many. Uh, her approach to life is holistic as she is eager to share messages of faith that advance the inner spirit, fervently distributing health-related information that encourages maintenance of a sound body, and she is enthusiastic about nourishing the intellect. Ajoa began her career in the field of health with the LA County Department of Health Services as a student professional worker. While working with the immunization program, a fellow colleague recommended her for a community health worker position with great beginnings for black babies and subsequently began her work with women and children. Simultaneously, she received her BS in Health Science Healthcare Administration from Cal State University Dominguez Hills and is currently completing her MBA in nonprofit management at the American Jewish University. Currently, Ajoa is Associate Director of the Regional Collaboration for Service Planning Area 6 with the Whole Person Care Program. 
of LA County Department of Health Services and has worked within the Department of Public Health and DHS for the past 22 years, serving in various programs to improve the health and wellness of women, men, children, and their families throughout the county. She is currently a Women's Policy Institute Fellow and with the Women's Foundation of California and LA County Health Justice Team, working to develop current policy to improve the health and birth outcomes of Black women and babies locally, regionally, and hopefully nationwide. Adjua has worked to mentor and encourage numerous young men and women in the community through her work as the former Youth and Young Adult Ministry Director and as a 22-year member volunteer of Black Women for Wellness. She has served as a Pregnant Parenting Teen Support Group Coordinator and Moderator, a Shingazi Sister Friend, and currently serves as a Board Champion for the organization. Furthermore, Ms. Jones has realized and spoke that as a single mother growing up in one of the most culturally diverse and economically challenged cities in the nation, I am proud of the foundation that my parents gave me because I now realize that no matter what happened in my life, my education and skills could take me anywhere my mind could imagine. I have learned how, to, how the pitfalls of life can change the timing of accomplishing goals, but if determined, they can never destroy the goal. Very inspiring. Thank you, Adjo. We're very excited to have you. Uh, so now we'll go to our next speaker. We have Summer McBride. Summer McBride is a parenting program assistant director at Claire's Health and teaches parenting classes throughout Inglewood and South Los Angeles. Her background in post-secondary education and public school policy helps inform her role as a parent educator. She's the president of the Culver City Board of Education and has worked with youth over 20 years. She graduated from Bethany Christian Bible College and has a social psychology degree from Southern New Hampshire University. Ms. McBride is also a certified breakthrough parenting instructor. She and her husband of 19 years have five sons, ages six to 16, who challenge their views of parenting in the best ways possible. She's always excited to share her personal experience to encourage others in their parenting journey. Welcome Summer. Uh, we're grateful that you could join us today. Next, we have Stacy Williams. Stacy Williams is the Outreach Manager of Claris Health. Stacy Williams has been with Claris Health for nearly six years, overseeing community partner relationships and assisting with events and overall fundraising. Ms. Williams has a bachelor's degree in sociology and a master's degree in journalism and communications, both from the Ohio State University. Prior to her outreach, work, she was a patient care manager at Claris and saw firsthand that Claris Health is so much more than a nonprofit, but truly becomes a family of support for so many clients. Ms. Williams is passionate about meeting with the community organizations and supporters to find ways to partner together to see even more lives transform and being involved in creating change and improving lives in another county. Welcome, Stacy. Uh, we're very uh, happy that you're here to join us. So uh, we'll welcome everybody, and now we will see a video, and we'll start a discussion right afterward. The most disrespected person in America is the black woman. It was 2016. I was very excited. I was pregnant with my first baby, and we were just ecstatic. Took the pregnancy test, put it down, came back and looked at it, and I was like, does that say pregnant? Okay. <laughs> my husband, he... he 
just let out this scream <laughs> of happiness. I wanted to do exactly everything right to make sure that this baby would be taken care of all the way to birth. I tagged her and swaddled her and we said goodbye. She was so cold. She just couldn't look me in the face and say, Elijah is gone. African-American women are often kind of overlooked when they express their concerns. So now you're telling me he's dead? How did that happen? We're not all Serena Lloyd. We're not all going to be able to fight for ourselves to that point. We don't have that money that she has. I begin to notice blood in the catheter. The staff at Cedar sinai Medical Center tells me that your wife isn't a priority right now. When I arrived, I went to check in, and no one really made eye contact with me. I kind of feel like me asking additional questions made people feel like I had an attitude. Women all over this country deserve better. Every time I was in a room by myself, the nurses would take that opportunity to try to force me to agree to something, force me to get an epidural, agree to a C-section. I did not feel like they had my best interest. As soon as the emergency doors open, the doctor says, whatever you do, please don't push. Too late. I gave birth and I caught my own baby. First things first, every black woman needs a doula or a birth advocate. The doula service that we're offering, all the doulas are African-American. There's something that just comes with us sharing our blackness that kind of puts people at ease. When I complain of pain from jump, my doctor should have looked into it. African-American women are more likely to die during childbirth. African-American women need to lead the charge. Do not back down. Our babies are dying and our mothers are dying. Fight for your voice to be heard. Stand up and make them listen because black women we deserve to be mothers. That was very, very powerful. And I'd like to start with you, Angela. Can you give us a little background? What's the history of these disparities? Um, so the issue of the disparity, you, the history of the disparity, let's go back to the history. History of the disparity goes to uh, really goes back to our presence here in America. So it's about 400 years, the impact of slavery on the descendants of the African slave here in America. So what was our role when we were first brought over here? We were simply personal property of slave owners. We were the chattel. Um, and our role was to reproduce and be a commodity to ensure that there was um, the production of what from tobacco to sugar to rum. And see in, in this picture, there's a, a gentleman, William Copper, that talks about this is one, something I picked up when I was at the um, Natural History Museum, African American Museum in DC. And it said, I admit I'm sickened at the purchase of slaves, but I must be mom because without it, you know, there basically could be no sugar or rum. And so, you know, it goes back to what was needed then and what is happening since then. So when we were needed to be production, then it was okay uh, for us to have some semblance of support and care, but not really, we weren't ever really provided 
with that type of support and care. The disparity goes back almost two centuries, so almost 200 years of being just um, the black-white divide between black infants and white infants started to be recorded then. And it's hence still grown and we still see those numbers. So you can go to the next slide, um, Marlon. And so even in this picture, most people might not know, but I can just share with you, it goes back to Dr. J. Marion Sims. This is a picture of him. And he was known to be the father of gynecology, right? He's the one, he was the most unethical because his work centered around using uh, the what we call today the medical apartheid or the misuse and abuse of black bodies. So this woman in the picture is a slave named Antarctica and he basically performed over uh, 25 surgeries on this woman without an anesthesia. And there was still the, the potential and the ability for anesthetics then, but he did not use them on slave women. And so even though he was the one that created the vaginal speculum, um, at what cost did we as black people and have black bodies have to, had to um, experience and really be um, traumatized by through our healthcare systems and our police systems and all of those systems uh, that are in place, all the structural systems that are in place that have taken advantage and are abused and traumatized black bodies. You can go to the next slide. So um, black moms die at three to four times the rate of white mothers in the United States, but that's just the, the rate of mortality in LA and California. If you go to other states like Texas and New York, that's sometimes 10 to almost 12 times that of a white woman. And so we have the widest disparity. You lose actually CDC reports. There's at least 50,000 50, near preventable misses in um, our nation. But when it comes to, and that's for all women, maternal death, the potential for maternal death. But when it comes to black women, the numbers are exorbitant. And the rate um, in the next slide, we'll see. And we could talk about that. The rate is, is really egregious. And when we say egregious, it means that Black women basically um, have, and this crosses all socioeconomic factors. So black women who with high education, with wealth, with um, several degrees, fare worse than white women who have not even graduated high school. Right. And so when you look at black women in the United States of America, you could switch slides, Marlon. Uh, when you look at black women in the United States of America, we um, tend to have a rate of disease that is centered around or the percentage of dying we can look at when it comes to health care our rate are around per perinatal i should say around pregnancy and perinatal health care we are looking at potentially dying at 243 percent more likely than other women especially white women and that's an average. We discuss this when we do our work around the South LA, South Bay, African-American infant and maternal mortality community action team and the countywide AIM initiative. What we end up having to share is the fact that racism has impacted black women so traumatically that it is highly, almost unlikely for a black woman to just have this great healthy experience and celebratory experience when it comes to pregnancy and giving birth. There's generally some type of experience she has when she's in the hospital system or in various systems of care, 
when she has the experience of racism and that stress on the body then also impacts her health outcomes and the outcomes of her baby. Next, um, I think I'll stop and just see what the next question is. Yeah, and you know, it's amazing. These numbers are just, they just blow my mind. And I'm just wondering, is this a, a, a product of bias, racism, access of care, stress? Can you give us a little background on that? What do you think it is a, um, the disparities are a product of? Well, it definitely has to do with race. It has to do with uh, when Black women have gone in and they've shared their experience, uh, or they've shared what is going on with their bodies with the doctors, they're right. often overlooked. They're often uh, not properly diagnosed. They're often not heard. Um, they're often told to just wait, come back. You're not, um, you know, you're not a priority right now. Like in the video, one um, gentleman, Charles Johnson, whose wife, Miss Kira Johnson, uh, passed at Cedar sinai Hospital, um, they had been told and had been waiting for over eight hours to get assistance when they had already seen blood in his wife's catheter mm -hmm. after she went in for a planned C-section. And by the time they went in and operated on her, it was too late. Uh, mm -hmm. We have several stories of even most recently, um, Amber Isaac, whose uh, partner, Bruce McIntyre, is going around the nation, and especially in New York, and speaking out against the crisis of Black maternal death, who his um, partner, just two to three weeks before delivery, had complained and said, I can't wait until I deliver my baby so that I can share this horrible experience I've had in this hospital system. And she actually went in as a 24 year old mother and died while giving birth to her son and and a lot of that could have been prevented because she was going through now that we're in the pandemic she was going through um what do you call it uh this new system of health where we're online telehealth uh, telehealth, telehealth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so in her experience of telehealth they did not get to check um, how low her blood was and the things that she was experiencing. So by the time they got in, um, she just had this crisis as a result of n them not having actually done the blood work that she needed to be prepared for her delivery. And she had been really letting them know a lot prior to. And we have several stories like that. And wow. those that are, you know, even in the video, like um, the one at the end, you see Tiffany with her baby. Actually, she's a sergeant, a police sergeant and was treated very um, harmfully at a hospital that she went into here in our city where she told them, hey, I'm having contractions, I believe. And they said, well, you know what? You're not a priority. We're having someone delivering twins. This was on a Friday. They told her come back on a Monday for her appointment. She went back home and had to turn around within an hour. And just like she said, she basically delivered her baby while the doctor was rushing her through the courtyard in a wheelchair. Wow, wow. And I heard of another stat that said one in six women complained that they were treated, they were um, mistreated while in the delivery room, either shouted at or their um, privacy was being violated or something like that. So that goes along with what you're explaining here is that it's just widespread. Yeah, very widespread. Again, like I said, it has nothing to do in times past, and we talk about this now, and why we're elevating it. In times past, 
it was always victim blaming and shaming. It's something yeah. that the woman didn't do. It's something that her family didn't do. It's, you know, you're not adhering to the proper nutrition or you're not coming to the visits and, and all of that. But even most recently, I mean, we've had numbers of articles and, you know, um, videos and, and medical information that comes out and studies, but even one that CNN just did. And before they did that, um, CNN talked about the difference between the life expectancy or a black infant surviving in the care of a white doctor versus a black doctor. Right. And they said the survival rate is much better if an infant is in the care of a black doctor over a white doctor. Well, why would that be so? They yeah. said there's no difference with the white babies. They're not seeing a difference with white babies. So we're challenged with that. We're challenged when we have women like Shalon Irving who worked for CDC and was um, dealing with just these types of issues to impact our society and make uh, changes against structural racism and, and the impact of racism and, and social determinants of health and all of that. And was in her early 30s, had several degrees, as including a doctorate and died within the first, I believe it was the first month, no more than a month and a half after delivering her baby. Right. And that's not even including the the um, afterbirth problem. No, that we're, this that is not including postpartum. Right? No, and, and you know, and, and some of that has to do with a lot of it has to do with preeclampsia. A lot of it has right. even to do with um, you know the need, and, and you have to provide proper education for women to know when to come back when when problems are arising, whether their high, their blood pressure is rising, whether they're bleeding right. still or various issues that are coming about. Uh, you have to be the nurse doctor that provides that type of information and is very responsive when they call in expressing their care because are there issues? Because um, for her, it was a light, uh, the blood pressure reading was off. Right. And it wasn't I'm, being reported right. And so I'm that's not, important too, because what is being said is that black women who experiences um, racism will actually still have their appointments set for their child's first pediatric visit right. and their well baby care, but they won't come back for their four to six, six week checkup, which is right. very important to do because right. they don't want to experience that mistreatment. Exactly. That was going to be my point. The follow up from the doctor's office just does not seem to happen. Mm -hmm. Thank Absolutely. you so much, Joy. Do you have any final thoughts or comments on, on the I think um, I think we just hone in on the fact that it is really imperative that what we're doing in LA County around our countywide AIM initiative is to uplift Black women, their infants, and celebrate healthy pregnancy and birth outcomes. We are offering free doula services for all Black women in LA County. We have a countywide initiative with now we have four community action teams. I am the visionary and the lead for the first community action team that was established, which is the South LA, South Bay, AIMCAP. We have one in AB. Why we have those is because the highest uh, rates were in SPA 1, which is Antelope Valley and uh, Palmdale, Lancaster, and then 6 and 8 for South LA and South Bay, some of the cities in South Bay. And so it is imperative that folks get involved. It is imperative that when you see a black woman that is pregnant, that you at, at least 
you know, try and check and ask if she has the resources, support and care that she needs. We're also engaging black fathers because no matter what the myths are or the lies that are being told, black fathers are very much engaged in the process and their and partners because we want to make sure the entire family is included. We have a number of resources. We just closed out um, Black Breastfeeding Week, our first that we participated in really fully for um, LA County as much as we did for the 2020 um, BBW. And it was amazing. And we just have all these programs and resources. I see some colleagues on here and I'm just glad to have been able to partner and participate in this conversation and look forward to um, more dialogue and more conversation around this disparities and how we're going to end them. Uh, our goal is 30% by 2023, but we even want to go further than that and we want to sustain this work. I've done it since the 90s with Black Infant Health, but we need to really move the, move the barometer, move the meter more than half percent from 10 to 11 to down to 5% for infants and even, you know, just the same as for their mom. Thank you so much, Joy. Thank I, you so much. I see your t-shirt kind of really sums it up. Yes, it Thank does. So Protect Black women. Thank, Thank you. you for that. Thank really you, Philip Alon. Go Toros. Okay. <laughs> um, we're going to move now to Summer. Um, Summer, I understand you have a, a personal experience on this topic. Yeah, so as mentioned in my bio, I am a mom of five boys. Um, my husband and I have been married for 19 years. Our oldest is 16. And um, shortly after we got married, about three years into our marriage, I um, found out I was pregnant and I gave birth to a healthy baby boy in 2004. And then just about a year after that, most of our boys were born close together, we found out we were pregnant with our second son and it was a pretty uneventful pregnancy, which is good. You don't want a lot of um, events during your pregnancy. Right. I had regular checkups with my doctor. I actually had the same OB from my, for all of my pregnancies, which is usually unheard of, but I had one OB for all five of my pregnancies and we were at a pretty good um, hospital in LA. And with my second pregnancy, I got all the way up to um, 38, 39 weeks and was working full-time. My husband was working full-time. Our, our younger son was in daycare and we were preparing for this baby. And about 38, 39 weeks, right at the 39 week mark, I um, went to lunch on my lunch break and I went to the restroom and I felt like my water broke. Um, I had felt what it felt like before to have uh, my water break. So I kind of knew that sensation and went back to the office as um, a lot of working moms do. I packed up some things and I sent some emails to tie up loose ends because I, I knew like I was gonna go have this baby and it was pretty much the end of my, um, the time that I was gonna be working. So I went right to the hospital and my husband who actually also worked for that hospital um, met me there and we went to labor and delivery and, it, and I remember like it was yesterday because it was pretty quiet in L&D that, that day. And so um, the nurse came in, she asked me a bunch of questions. I told her exactly what happened. And she used the, um, the pH strips to test to see if it was actually amniotic fluid. And she um, didn't show it to me, I didn't see it. She just said, it's not amniotic fluid, your water didn't break, um, you probably just use the bathroom you'll be fine, go home. And I, and I thought, no, I'm pretty sure my water broke. And we yeah. actually even had sort of an exchange where um, 
she just didn't believe me. She, she wasn't taking my word for it. She was like, you, uh, there's nothing you, you did, your water didn't break. And I said, okay. And she said, well, go home. And I, and I asked if she was going to at least let my doctor know because my next appointment wasn't for like a couple of days. And she said, yeah, I'll let them know. You'll be fine. Just go home. And so I did. And, um, a little while later, uh, a little over a week later, I went into active labor. Um, my back was hurting, contractions, and my contractions were about six minutes apart, but we called the doctor's office anyway, and he said, his nurse actually said, yeah, come in, don't worry about it. Um, you don't have to wait till you're five minutes apart. We'll just get you in and get you monitored, and then um, we'll see how it goes from there. About three hours after I got to the hospital, the nurse came in, one of the nurses came in, and she said, we're looking at um, the baby's heart rate, and every time you have a contraction, his heart rate drops. And so I want to run and get the doctor and have him come and look at this. And before I knew it, within minutes, we went from my in-laws and my mother being in the in the labor and delivery room. It was a bright sunny day to me rolling being rolled into the OR. And wow. the last thing I remember hearing the doctor say was she needs to be put under right now. And so I was put under a general anesthetic and um and had an emergency C-section. And that went from me being, you know, seemingly pregnant. Uh, healthy. I had, um, I was by that point with, with that child, uh, my first one was born at 26. I was, uh, 28 years old, married. Um, you know, we did all of the right things. I didn't have high blood pressure. I didn't. And when I say we did all the right things, I'm not referring to being married, but I'm just saying like, when we talk about black infant maternal mortality, all of these indicators don't make the outcomes better necessarily. Oh. You can have a college degree, you can have a spouse, you can have family support, um, you can be physically healthy. I had no diabetes, no high blood pressure. Um, I had no indications at all that this would be a complicated pregnancy or that I would have to have a C-section. Um, and we had had one other healthy pregnancy. It was in that moment that the nurse decided not to listen to me, not to listen to what I was telling her about my body. And it goes back to what Aja Webb was saying about how there is this idea that, you know, black women don't either feel pain or we don't know what our bodies are telling us. And so medical professionals have over time just, you know, continually not listened to us. And, and I really believe to this day that that was the result of me um, having to have an emergency C-section. What ended up happening was it turns out I did have a slow amniotic leak that was not detected because she never followed up with the doctor as she said she would. She didn't listen to me that day. Um, my son aspirated on meconium because he was in distress. And because of that, he spent 15 days in the NICU. And a year after that, having to be evaluated by the Westside Regional Center and um, specialists to make sure that there was not gonna be any long-term damage, damage because of the result of the uh, meconium aspiration. Oh my goodness, you talk about a person not being heard. And I could just imagine the stress that you felt during that time what was supposed to be a very happy occasion turned out to be not a good day for you at all. Mm -hmm. So what was the follow-up after that? Were you able to get any kind of um, recourse? Were they, um, did they acknowledge that they did anything wrong? No, so the interesting thing is I'm actually grateful for the doctor um, my OB who cared for me because um, I did follow up with him afterwards. We had a conversation and it wasn't until um, I got my chart back and reviewed it on my own and saw that um, 
that was sort of like not included in the in in the charting that I was seeing. And I asked him if he knew if I had come in. He had no clue that I had come in. So there was no communication from that labor and delivery nurse to my doctor. Mm -hmm. um, and like I said, he delivered all of my babies. So obviously I went back to him three more times. And the care that I received from him, um, I felt like he he wanted to sort of make up for that time mm -hmm. that I spent um, sort of tormenting myself, trying to figure out what did I do wrong, what happened, um, because that's what happens when you go through something like that. The first thing you do, even though you know these other things didn't work out the way they were supposed to, or somebody yeah. didn't do their job, you still as a parent um, look at yourself and say, well, what did I do? What could I have done differently? I should have spoken up more. I should have demanded to see someone else. And so um, what I know is that, you know, C-sections are not in themselves bad. They can be lifesavers and they have a, a they're a medical necessity for some people. Um, but it shouldn't have to happen simply because a woman is not being listened to, simply right. because the, the medical professional is not doing their part to make sure that care is given and they're taking every step possible to make sure that that person has the best possible chance of having a healthy delivery. And um, at that time, C-sections were more common than they are now. I know in 2018, California had an initiative to lower the number of elected C-sections by 2020. Um, mine would not have been considered elective. It was absolutely necessary. Um, so I'm grateful that my doctor, you know, jumped into action and that essentially saved my son's life, okay. but it should not have gotten to that point. Absolutely, absolutely. And to okay. answer your question, we never followed up with any okay. any recourse. Um, it wasn't until I started working with the AIMCAT that my husband, I was coming home telling my husband about all of the disparities and how terrible it is and how blessed we are to have five healthy boys. And he said, Parker, and that's our second son's name. And I said, what do you mean? He said, that's what happened with Parker. They weren't listening to you and he almost yeah. died. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a high number for people that are not being heard. I heard that in doing some research for this topic, so many people are not being heard. And then it's that balance of complaining and being heard. Where's that balance? When are you taken seriously? You know your body and you weren't being heard. I'm so glad that worked out for you that your children are healthy. Yeah, um, I'm grateful too, and it made me more aware, you know, with my subsequent pregnancies, even though I trusted my doctor. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of times we go into, um, we, we seek medical care and we focus on the doctor that we have, but it's not right. just the doctor, it's the nurses, it's the right. staff, it's the medical team. Anybody you encounter in a hospital setting really needs to be a part of this shift in the way they view patients, especially black patients, yeah. because it's all about that entire experience and whether or not I feel welcome in this medical environment. And I feel like everybody is gonna have my best interests at heart. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you. And do you mind if I just um, mention one more thing? Please. Um, so I joined the AIMCAT a few years ago and I do co-chair the Integrated Community Solutions Committee. And one of the things that our committee is doing is working to make sure that we really keep 
um, racism at the forefront of the work that we're doing, that we acknowledge that it exists, that we acknowledge that it is a big factor in the disparities for birth outcomes. We also wanna make sure we're focusing on healthcare, perinatal care, personal community support that affect and support African-American families. And the members of the working group are working to identify and engage with anyone who can have an impact on the birth outcomes of um, moms and babies during pregnancy. And then the work that I do with Claris is important because as a parenting instructor, we know that your parenting journey doesn't start once your baby is born. It that the moment you find out you're pregnant, you are starting that journey. And it is important that you know how to advocate for yourself and inform yourself and surround yourself with doulas and, and support systems who will help you advocate for yourself to make sure that your voice is heard. Yes, so thank you for inviting me to be here today. Thank you so much. And Stacy. I'd like to hear from you about other resources and what else we can do to um, battle this um, disparity. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here today. I appreciate it. Um, I think my job right now is just to highlight some of the wonderful things that Ajwa and Summer have already mentioned. Um, I definitely want to highlight the value of doulas. I think Summer's story is really important because it um, it shows a perspective that maybe not everyone is familiar with. I think there's a lot of attention put on providers and is the provider listening to you? Is the doctor, um, you know, informed? Are they responding in, uh, in an appropriate manner? But it really extends to everyone in the hospital setting. So that includes the nursing team, the receptionist, and just making sure that, um, that, that everyone is responding in the, in the way that they should be responding and that's not always happening. And so what, what women really need is an advocate there with them in that labor and delivery process. And that is really what a doula does. And like Ajwa mentioned, the county has a free program that's open to any African-American woman um, who's pregnant and wanting a doula. And I cannot I, you know, um, advocate for that program enough. I think it's so needed. Um, and so I would just encourage anyone on this call, if you're working with any clients um, who are pregnant and in need of services, any community members that you would direct them to this program. Um, like I said, it's, it's free support. It includes prenatal visits. It includes that um, someone to be with you throughout the entire labor and delivery process and then postpartum visits, lactation support. So it's not just that delivery day. It really is before um, and after as well. So I would highlight that as a, as a tremendous resource. Um, I also would love to talk a little bit about the type of prenatal care that women are receiving. There is a type of prenatal care called centering. It's group-based prenatal care and it's an evidence-based form of prenatal care. Um, it's something that we offer at Claris Health at our Linwood Clinic. And um, basically what it is, is women are placed into a cohort group and they're placed with, into a group with um, other women who are due within the same like three or four weeks as them. And as they receive their health care, their prenatal care, they are also um, placed into this group and they're going through each month when they come to see the provider, they have that time alone with the provider and then they have this support group environment. So it's part education, part support, your health care, um, and there's really some amazing evidence that comes um, that has come out research from this type of prenatal care. It's been shown to um, it's been shown to I wrote it all down because I don't want to forget anything. Um, it's been shown to um, decrease the rate of preterm labor. It also has been shown to um, decrease the rate of low birth weight. Um, it also increases breastfeeding rates, lowers postpartum depression rates. 
and it nearly eliminates racial disparities in preterm labor. So I just would you know, highly advocate for that type of prenatal care and elevating that. Um, and you know, we offer that out of our Linwood clinic. If anyone is interested, they can definitely reach out for that. And then there's just a, a number of tremendous programs that are happening throughout the county. Um, Black Infant Health Program has been around for a long time. It's an amazing program. I would just say the biggest way to get involved is go to the Black Infants and Families website. There's a ton of resources listed on there, other agencies that are participating. You can join the AIMCAT. You can join some of the subcommittees to get more involved in that work. And I just would say, I would just encourage everyone, please you know, spread the word about resources um, and then get involved as well yourself in the work. It's, it's been a Thank tremendous you. benefit to me personally. Thank you so much. It sounds like those um, services will help reduce the stress level in the women that are about to get birth. That's a big factor as well. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. We want to thank everyone once again. Uh, fantastic discussion, enlightening, um, painful, but it's a reality. And the fact that when we talk about it, you know, we can bring um, some change and improve this uh, for, for, you know, like I saw in the chat, not just for African-American mothers and, and ch children, but for all people of color. Very good. Yeah. All right. Very good. Thank you all for your information and your, how knowledgeable you are about this topic. It was amazing when I was asked to be this moderator, me at 60 plus, I said, what, what is it about this topic? I knew nothing. I did not realize how high these numbers were, three and four. I didn't realize that. And so for me, this was a very um, uh, important topic for me working in substance abuse. I do deal with women who are pregnant and I have information to share with them. So I appreciate your wealth of knowledge in the areas that you um, provided the information from. Thank you, Josella, Stacy, Summer, Adjua, and Marlon for today's episode and informational resources. Thank you everyone for listening. Please join us every Wednesdays for new episodes at Prevention 365 Podcast on Believe, B-L-E-A-V, Spotify, and Apple. You can check out our episodes on youtube.com slash Inc. That's A-A-D-A-P-I-N-C. People need people. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install durable against the elements and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th and check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save